season This is your time to shine Get up and take your place in history so thankful that we can be in the presence um, in your presence and in the presence of your people lord we're so thankful that um, the creation can commune with the creator it is such a privilege lord as we spend the next few moments in your word we ask oh god that you open the eyes of our understanding lord give us revelation about you that will bring us into a closer relationship with you because, Lord, that is what we seek. We're not interested in the philosophy of man. We're not interested in the new doctrine to titillate our fancies. We're interested in revelation that can bring us closer to you. We're interested in deliverance in our lives. We're interested in your anointing uh, that will destroy yokes and lift burdens in our lives. So help us by your spirit today. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you believe that, say amen. amen. Well, open your Bibles this morning um, to the book of First Timothy. Um, chapter 6, First Timothy, chapter 6, I'm going to be reading verse 12. Now the context of this um, book is uh, a letter from Paul. Um, this was the, one of the last letters that the Apostle Paul wrote uh, before his death. And was writing to his protege. He was writing to a young minister um, named Timothy. And Timothy was a pastor and, uh, should I say, his son in the faith. And this was the aged man, Paul, um, writing to Timothy out of his long years of experience as a Christian. Uh, long years of uh, experience as a successful minister of the word of God. You know, you and I can learn from those who have gone before. Amen. Um, you know, the Bible says, um, and we're talking about faith, the Bible says in 1 John 5, 4, um, that whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, Paul writes to Timothy saying, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, to which you were also called, and I've confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. He says, Timothy, you need to fight the good fight of faith. Say to your neighbor, fight the good fight of faith. Say to the person on the other side, fight the good fight of faith. You know, in this simple phrase, I believe that there are certain important things that you and I can learn about the fight that we're in and about how to be successful and overcome in this life. He says, fight the good fight of faith. The first lesson we can extract from that verse is that you are in a context where there is a fight. 
There is a fight to engage in. We are in a context where we are at war. You might not realize it, but we are actually in a fight. You know, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6 verse 12 made this statement. He said, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. He says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We're engaged in combat and it's not against flesh and blood. There are spiritual powers that are at war against us. Life goes beyond what you can see. We are involved in a fight. Jesus said the same thing in different words. In John 16, 33, he says in this world you will have tribulation. You can, I can imagine saying that to a Christian, saying, you know, brother, you are going to have tribulation. And the next thing they'll say is, God forbid. Don't give me that negative confession. Well, whether you consider it a negative confession or not, it is actually a reality. It says, in this world, you will have tribulation. There, you will have tr- trials. You will have pressure. You will have distress. We are operating Behind enemy lines. Jesus said in John 10.10. He said there is a thief loose in the earth. He says the thief comes not but for to steal, to kill and to destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. So it begins by understanding that you and I are in a fight. There is real opposition to your progress in life. There is a real enemy. The dangers are real. I know in war, there are casualties. In this war that we are involved in, there are real casualties, just like there are real victories. The enemy is here to steal your peace. He's here to steal your health. He's here to steal your business. He's here to steal your family. There is spiritual wickedness that is influencing the world of man. There is a fight. Wise up to the fact. Everybody here this morning. He says fight the good fight. There is a fight but it is a good fight. Anyone here ever been in a, a fight before? It's okay, you can admit to it in church. Yeah? I mean, I remember, I mean, this was in primary school. And everyone had a bully. Everybody had a bully. And you know me, you know, gentleman that I am. I've always been a gentle guy, you know. And, um, but there was this guy in my class that terrorized everyone. I mean, this was worth very young. I mean, we're probably about, I don't know, six or seven. You know, but he it looks like this guy um, reached puberty at seven or something. You know, because he seemed to be like six inches taller than everyone else in class. And he pushed everyone around. And you know, because I was such a nice guy, I I hardly got pushed around. But for some reason, he started picking on me. He picked on me for my breakfast. He picked on me for my snack. You know, just picked on me all the time. And of course, um, like any reasonable young boy, I was scared of the bully. But you know, one day I decided that, you know what, enough is enough. I am sick and tired of being pushed around. So he came as he always did after class and he came to push me around and you know I just stood my ground and I turned around and I walloped him one. I know the most incredible thing happened. He began to cry. 
I mean, I was more astounded that he was crying than anything else. Now, that was a good fight. Everybody here this morning. Yeah, the Apostle Paul says fight, but it's a good fight. It is a good fight. I know after that fight, I didn't have to fight him anymore. I mean, this guy was, became my best friend. He began walking with me, you know, hanging out with me. It was a good fight. A good fight is a fight that you win. He says this fight of faith is a good fight. Because you can win it. A good fight is not a fixed fight. It is not one in which the opposition has been bribed to take a fall in the sixth round. No, no, uh, this fight that we're in is not a fixed fight. Our enemy is in this thing to win. A good fight may not necessarily be smooth. It might not be smooth sailing, but it is a fight that you can win. You know, in that verse, John sixteen thirty three, where Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation. He didn't end it there. At the end of the verse, he says, but be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. The Amplified says, take courage, be confident, certain, undaunted. I have deprived the world of power to harm you and I have conquered it for you. In other words, he's saying that everything that the world will throw against you, I have conquered it myself and therefore I have the strategy for your victory. Things may catch you by surprise, but nothing catches the Lord by surprise. That is why in Romans 8.37, the Bible says in all these things, in every context that you are in, in every situation of pressure that you are in, in all these things you are more than conquerors through him who loved us. As I quoted earlier in 1 John 5, 4, it says, This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. You can be victorious. Yes, there is real pressure and real challenges, but you have something within you that is able to overcome the world. Number one, you're in a fight. Number two, it is a good fight. Number three, it is a fight of faith. Everyone say it is a fight of faith. Oh, come on, say it again. It is a fight of faith. It is not a fight against your husband or your wife, against your boss or the government. It is a fight of faith. You need to understand what is going on when you go through pressure. It is a fight of faith. The aim of the enemy is to erode your confidence in God and his word. That is the purpose of the fight. You know, the enemy starts by getting you to question the existence of God. You know, after all, God can't be real. I mean, if God is real, I mean, why, why is there evil in the world? Why are there natural disasters? The aim of the enemy is to erode your faith in the existence of God. If he fails in getting you to believe that God is not real, he focuses on eroding your faith 
in God's work in your life. He'll say to you that, you know, you are not such a holy person. If you are just a better Christian, then maybe you can expect God to help you um, in your situation. Because after all, how can you expect help from a holy God, being such a rotten person that you are? If he doesn't succeed there, he will aim to erode your faith in the potency of the word of God. He will show you situations where you prayed and it didn't happen like you expected it to. You prayed for the relative and they died. You prayed for the job and you didn't get it. Yes, God might be real. Yes, you might be, his, his, his help may not be based on your holiness, but, but surely the word of God can't really work. Amen to erode your faith in the potency of the word of God. You know, if he gets you there, then he will work his way back to questioning your suitability for God's power. And then work his way back into questioning your, your, uh, the existence of God in the first place. It is a fight, fight of faith. The aim of the enemy is to erode your faith in the existence of God. And in the potency of the word of God. Look at um, Mark chapter 4 verse 15. You know, in Mark chapter 4, Jesus was um, giving his disciples insight into what we call the parable of the sower. And here he was explaining uh, the different elements of this parable. You know, uh, if you remember, the parable was about a, a sower who went out to sow seed. And some fell on the wayside, some fell on th- stony ground, some fell among thorns, uh, and some fell on good ground. And in verse 15, Jesus said, and these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground who... When they heard the word, immediately they received it with gladness. And they, were, they had no root in themselves. Everyone said they had no root in themselves. And so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Immediately they stumble. So look at this scenario. Here is a seed that is planted amongst thorns. And you know if you follow the explanation of Jesus. The seed is the word of God. The ground is the heart. Are you with me? So here is somebody that has received the word of God into their hearts. But the Bible says that the word of God did not take root in their hearts. So when affliction arose for the sake of the word, they immediately stumbled. You know, affliction will arise for the sake of the word. That is the reason why persecution comes. Persecution comes to erode your faith in the word of God. That is why it's there. Now, now what is the purpose of a root system on a plant? I mean, a root system is there to give the plant stability, right? And to give the plant access to nourishment. 
when you plant a seed properly and the roots begin to spring out, you know, the roots go beyond the topsoil and they go deep down into the ground to draw nourishment from the earth. Now, in this particular scenario, the word of God hadn't quite taken root in the heart of this person. It hadn't quite taken root. You know, there's something known as a, a fair fight and an unfair fight. You know, amongst, uh, if you watch any of these old movies, you know, I was watching one of these old movies recently. And it's, it's interesting how they fought in those days. You know, you had um, the, the armies with their muskets and their rifles. And, you know, they will stand in front of each other. And then, uh, you know, one army would hold their rifles and shoot. And the next army will wait there while they shoot them. And then they have their own turn. <laughs> All right? And I was watching this movie and laughing to myself. And that was how wars were fought in those days. Um, but now people have wisened up. Yeah? That you need to be a little bit more conniving. But, but the devil doesn't come at you in a fair fight. He doesn't wait for you to meditate in the word and have the word well rooted in your heart. He's going to come against you now. Are you, are you with me? Yeah, he's, gonna, he's not going to wait until you have established yourself in the word so that you can stand against all the wiles of the enemy. You know, while you're just meditating on it for the first time, he's going he's to bring persecution because of the word. Now, the Bible says that because these guys did not have the word rooted in their heart, they stumbled. Now, why did they stumble? They stumbled because they bought into the lie of the enemy that the reason why it doesn't seem to be working is because the word doesn't work. They didn't realize that, you know, I need for this thing to take root in my heart. I need to be rooted in this thing so that I can draw the nourishment of the word and be able to stand faithful on this word until it comes to pass. You know, the devil, they just started getting into the, the issue of faith. Or the area of faith. You know, pastor has been teaching the fact that the just shall live by faith. So next week, they go and believe God for five million naira. And they say, Lord, I believe you. And, and, and you know, there's nothing wrong in believing God for five million naira. Everyone here this morning. Yeah? But there's a, that we grow in faith. There, there's a process of wisdom that we need to go through. And we may not be quite uh, clear on all these different things yet. We're growing in this thing. But, but then they, they have their first faith, faith project and they stumble. It doesn't quite come at the time they expect. And the devil says, you know, you know, the word of God can't work because surely you did it as they said it and it didn't happen. Are you with me? They, they stumbled. They stumbled. He didn't see that his roots, the roots of that seed had just begun to grow. He didn't realize that, you know, the roots, he hadn't quite taken root yet. He hadn't quite understood the, 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 the spirit of wisdom behind this thing. It says persecution and affliction arose for the word's sake. And because the word was not well rooted in their hearts, they couldn't stand their ground and they misunderstood or misinterpreted what happened and then they stumbled. You know, Proverbs 24 verse 16 says, A righteous man may fall seven times and rise again. You know, the devil wants you to fall and not rise. I mean, there's nothing wrong in falling. Falling is how we learn to to walk. Are you with me? But it's in falling and rising, isn't it? But the devil wants you to fall and not rise. And you will not rise if you doubt the process. 
If you doubt the fact that, you know, this word, if you begin to think that, well, this word doesn't actually work, you will not rise again. But you rise again when you realize that, you know, I haven't quite got it right. I need to, I need to dig this seed deeply in my heart so I can be established. That's when you rise again. The devil wants you to think that the seed is no good. Rather than for you to understand or to realize that you need to stand your ground and take out those rocks that are getting in the way of the word of God taking root in your heart. Persecution will arise for the sake of the word. Do you know that Satan doesn't really care whether you succeed or fail? His main objective is to erode your faith in God and the efficacy of his word. If you succeed, he wants you to think that it was just because of your good looks and contacts that made it happen. If you fail, he wants you to believe that it is because the word of God doesn't work. So either way, I, I like to say, you know, pardon all the stockbrokers in the house. But I, I like to say that Satan's like a stockbroker. You know, they make money whether you're buying or selling. Are you with me? All they're interested in, in is in the volume. Whether the market is up or down, the stockbrokers make money as long as there's volume going on. Everybody here with me this morning. Okay, the stockbrokers will get a joke. They probably wouldn't like me at the moment, but they get the joke. He says, it is a fight of faith. The aim of the fight is to get to erode your faith in the word of God. And he knows that once he can erode your faith in the word of God, he's got you. You know, like the famous writer that said that on Christ, Christ is the, is the solid rock I stand, all over the ground is what? It's sinking sand. Christ and his word is the solid rock. Everybody here this morning. Because Christ and the word are one. Christ and the word is the solid rock. It's not bad grammar, it is, but you know, you get what I mean. That is the only solid rock. And once he can erode your faith in that solid rock, then he's got you. Because now all you are in, a, you are, you are in the domain of contacts alone and your wit's end. And that's the, the domain he can manipulate. Look at how Jesus dealt with this. Look at um, Luke chapter 4 very quickly. Look at Luke chapter 4 verse 1. We are in a fight. It is a fight that you can win. But you need to understand that it is a fight of faith. And Jesus knew this. Look at Luke chapter 4 verse 1. It says, then Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing and afterward, when, he had, uh, when uh, they had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him saying, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Then the devil taking him up on a high mountain showed him all the mountains of the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give you and their glory for it has been delivered to me. I will give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Then he brought him up to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. How many of you know the devil, and he knows scripture. 
And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Let us dissect the temptation of Jesus. It begins with the temptation of bread. Jesus was hungry. Now notice, Satan didn't say, turn this stone to bread. He said, if. Everyone say if. He said, if you are the son of God, turn this stone to become bread. If you are the son of God, prove to me that you are the son of God. Link the proof of your identity to what you can demonstrate physically. Show me that you are, demonstrate that you are the son of God. Jesus' response was no. My identity is based on the word of God alone. I don't need to prove a thing. I am who God says I am. I live by the word of God, not by what I see. Jesus refused to link his identity to anything other than what God had said. Do you know that if Jesus had turned that stone to bread, the next time the devil would have said, well, if you are the son of God, prove that you are the son of God by healing that sick person. And then Jesus will heal the sick person to prove that he is the son of God. And very soon, Jesus' ministry will not have been about meeting the needs of people. It would have been about proving how anointed he was. His ministry would have been all about himself rather than about the love of God. He would have ended up working for the devil instead of working for God. You know, many great ministries have been derailed. Trying to prove that they are as good or are better than somebody else. Destinies have been derailed. By people looking at the grass on the other side or looking at the size of their neighbor's house and the size of their neighbor's car and going off what God has put in their hands and nurturing what God has put in their hands to chase the dream of somebody else. Satan was trying to get Jesus to place his faith on something else other than what God has said and he refused to do that. He said, Satan, I am who God says I am. I don't need to prove a thing. <laughs> I will do what God has called me to do. Whether you think that, you know, I need, to, I need to be turning stone to bread to justify that I'm a son of God, then, you know, I leave that to you. He refused to allow his identity to be founded on anything other than the word of God. Look at the second temptation. The devil showed him all the world and the glory of the world. And he said, you know, all this has been given to me. And he was quite right. And he said, if you just worship me, I will give all of this to you. The implication being, you know, just worship me for a bit. Temporarily. Are you with me? Just, just bow down to me now and then I'll give this to you. Now, this is the principle of the shortcut. Everyone say the shortcut. You know, the devil is a liar and the father of liars. This is the end justifies the means theology. 
You want to save the world? Well, bow down and worship me and I'll give the world to you. Have you ever had the thought that, you know, if I can just get the money, if I, just, I mean, if I just, you know, turn a blind eye and just get the money however I can get it, at least I know that when I get the money, I will serve God with it. Shandai. Satan was saying, just, just worship me. Just worship me for a bit. But how many of you know that the Bible says that a man cannot serve two masters? You can't be a slave to God and mammon. If you think, you know, okay, pastor, just give me the benefit of the doubt. Just give me a pass. You know what a pass is. Give me a pass. Let me go serve mammon for a few months. I'll be right back. You know, in 50 years time, you will not be back. Are you with me? If Jesus had bowed down his knee to worship Satan, it would have been over. But Jesus said, no. I will worship God every second of my life. I will ensure that my priorities are always the priorities of God. I will overcome the world only through the path of integrity and worship of God. Whatever I cannot get as a result of my honoring God and, and, and walking by faith, I don't want it. He refused to take his faith off the word of God and the potency of the word to put him over and the principles of God. The last temptation. And there was actually no point to this as far as I'm concerned. He said, Jesus, he took him to a high mountain and said, you know, just throw yourself off. Just jump off the mountain. There was no promise associated. He didn't say I was going to give you the world. Just jump off. God will take care of you. As, I, I, I mean, at least the Bible says that he will give his angels charge over you. You know, when I started this, I see this as those who are deceived by a warped understanding of grace. You know, in Romans 6 verse 1, the apostle says, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? You know, the devil says, Don't worry, God will forgive you. Just do it. Just throw yourself off the mountain. He'll take care of you. At least there's grace, isn't there? Well, the Bible says in Proverbs 6.27, it says, Can a man take fire to his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Jesus said, you know, I'm, I'm not going to go this way. I'm not going to tempt God with my behavior and say, well, God will take care of me. That is foolishness. In these temptations, Satan was trying to erode Christ's faith in God and his word, trying to get him to move from God's priorities and his ways of doing things. It is a fight. It is a fight of faith. Paul was teaching his son in the faith. He said, Timothy, you are in a fight, but it is a good fight because you have living in you the overcomer. But it is a fight of faith. Keep your faith in God and his word intact in every situation. Keep your faith in God intact. Don't let down your shield of faith. Because the Bible says with your shield of faith, you are able to quench all the fiery darts of the enemy. If you let down your shield of faith, you are now on sinking ground or sinking sand terrain. And it's open season. You have no defense against the enemy because the Bible says this is our victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. So you and I must take on the whole armor of God. 
This battle we are talking about cannot be avoided. For this battle is not fought on the frontiers somewhere. This battle is fought very close to home. Because the battlefield of the war for your faith happens every day in your mind. That is where the war takes place. You know, when we think about spiritual warfare, we think it's some, on some sort of outer frontier somewhere. No, no, this, this spiritual warfare is right with you. It happens every day. It happens every day. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 4, it says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are not fleshly weapons, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. This fight that we are going through is a fight in our minds. Satan has access to your mind. You know, it is said that you cannot stop somebody from bringing a basket of snakes to your door. Do you know you can't stop someone from coming to your gate with a basket of snakes? They press your, they press your buzzer or they knock on your door. Oh, God, madam, I've got a basket of snakes for you. Now, you have a choice as to whether you open the door or not. Are you with me? Your mind is like the doorway of your heart. Satan comes and knocks on your door. I mean, he even knocks on your door in church. Uh, <laughs> have you ever been tempted in church? I mean, if temptations were based on you, church would be the worst place. In your mind to have a temptation. You say, well, let's wait until 1245 so that we can be tempted properly. <laughs> Everybody here this morning. But, but, but he tempts you right here. You can't stop him. You, you can decide whether you open the door or not. And that's why the Bible says, casting down every argument. An argument is going to be presented to your mind as to why not to believe the word of God. He says, bringing into captivity every thought. A thought is going to enter your mind about why not to believe the word of God in this situation. It's going to come. But Paul says, fight the good fight of faith. Examine every thought. Don't let your guard down. Don't let your shield of faith down. Examine every thought. And as the thought comes, respond by saying it is written. No, this is what I believe. This is what the word of, of what the word of God says. I am not going to take my eyes off what God has said to go this way. It is a fight. But it is a fight of faith. You know, in concluding this, there are three symbols that the Apostle Paul used for the Christian. That you and I will do well to remember as we fight the fight of faith. Let us look at 2 Timothy chapter 2 very quickly. There are three symbols that are used for the believer. Chapter 2, verse 3. He says, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life. That he may please him who enlisted him as what? A soldier. 
And anyone who competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hard-working farmer must be first to partake of the crops. You do well to remember these three symbols as we engage in this fight of faith. Number one, you are a soldier. Everyone say, I am a soldier. He says, no soldier entangles himself in the affairs of this life. Think about a soldier. A soldier doesn't get spooked by the toughness or the pressure of battle. It doesn't come to a soldier as a surprise or unusual when they come under attack. That is what happens when you are at war. It doesn't mean that you are not in faith or that you have missed it necessarily when something goes wrong. Don't think, oh, if I were a Christian, this shouldn't happen to me. No, no, no. Bad things happen to good people. People like you and I go through pressure. We are at war. Don't get spooked by it. It is a war and you will overcome by faith in God. You are a soldier. It requires toughness. It requires discipline. You know, um, renewing your mind requires dis- discipline. Resisting the thoughts of darkness requires discipline. You know, sometimes you might just think, well, let me just entertain it for a while. I'm tired of resisting. Well, when you recognize that that dart is a poison and when it enters your soul, it will begin to take root and your imagination will engage and will start creating that in your life. Then you will, you will embrace the discipline of resisting the devil. Are you with me this morning? The thoughts of darkness are not to be entertained. Notice, it was when Eve decided to look and focus on it that she committed the sin. She never thought she was going to commit that sin. Do you know that? But when she focused on it, things began to happen. In her mind. Her emotions took over. Your emotions will engage with whatever you focus on. I'll say that again. Your emotions will engage. To whatever you focus your attention on. If you don't want your emotions. Don't say oh it can never happen to me. And then you're focusing on it. (laughs) We will carry your cops out. You become a casualty of war. People that are better than you. Stronger than you have fallen for the same thing. And all they did was they focused on it. He says, remember that you are an athlete. People who compete and win are only given a prize when they compete according to the rules. You know, in the old Greek games, the rules of athletics, you know, when the whole Olympics began, the athletes had to succumb to a a specific regimen of diet and exercise years before the games. And if they showed up at the games and won the race, but they did not fulfill the regimen of diet and exercise, they were disqualified. It's not about winning the race first. It is about playing according to the rules. You see, when you walk with God, you will realize... That God never leads you through the shortest path. It is said that the shortest point between two, uh, the, the shortest connection between two points is a, a straight line, right? God never leads in straight lines. As a matter of fact, following God is like being involved in a treasure hunt 
or a scavenger hunt. Anyone ever been involved in a treasure hunt? A treasure hunt, you go out with some friends, you know, you have this treasure hunt, and the person that wins is not the person that gets to the end of the line first, but the person that picks up all the things that they were meant to pick up along the way. When God leads you in life, he doesn't lead you through the shortest path because he's, he's, he's more in, interested in not just the outcome, but involved in the process. God is going to lead you to a path that is going to develop your character because the Bible says that prosperity will ruin the fool. He said, God prosper me, God prosper me. Well, he'll put you in a place where you have to be mentored for a few years. And then after he's finished you there, he'll put you in an apprenticeship somewhere. And, and then after a while, he'll put you somebody, somewhere else. He's going to develop your character because God doesn't want your life ruined by money. Trust in the one who leads the way. Athletes train for years for a race that may last less than 10 seconds. Soldiers train for years for a, more, for a war that may last for a few months. Your time is not over. Your day is not past. It is not too late for you. Trust that all that has gone before is in preparation for the defining moments of your life that are ahead of you. You know, I, I, I sense in my spirit that there's somebody here that missed a promotion recently. Don't think that missing the promotion is the end of the game. Yeah, you are you're where you need to be for some time, for, 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 for some time more. There are certain things that you're going to pick up here right now that you would not have picked up if that promotion came through. And then he says the hardworking farmer must be the first to partake of the crops. You are a soldier, you are an athlete, and you are what? A farmer. You know, in Ecclesiastes chapter 11 verse 4, the Bible says that he who observes the winds will not sow. He who regards the clouds will not reap. Don't let the clouds determine your sowing. Don't let the winds determine your reaping. That's what the devil wants. He wants you to focus on things that will not determine your harvest. The farmer does not look at the clouds or the winds to determine whether he should sow or not. The farmer trusts what? He trusts the seed, doesn't he? So I don't care what's happening around me. I'm going to sow seed. Whatever prevents you from sowing is going to prevent you from reaping. A farmer trusts the seed. A farmer trusts the seed. A hard-working farmer reserves his best seed for planting. He never allows anything to get in the way of planting his seeds. When times are tough for a farmer, when he has a small harvest, Guess what he doesn't skimp on? He doesn't skimp on, on his seeds for the next sowing, sowing season. Because he knows that his sowing determines his reaping. Are you with me this morning? It says you will be the first partaker of the crops which are the product of what you have sown. So in conclusion, in Galatians 6.9 it says, Do not be weary in your well-doing. You will reap if you do not faint. You will reap if you do not faint. You know, there are things that happen in our walk of faith that we never understand. There are things that happen that we don't understand. I believe that it is in these times that our faith in God is most precious to Him. 
For the only faith that can sustain us in times where things happen that we don't understand is faith in the love of God for us, which is the most precious and the most powerful kind of all. You know, if you read Psalm 22, David said, God, I'm praying and it's like you're not answering me. I I cry at night and I don't hear you. But then he concludes by saying, but you are different, you are holy, and I will put my trust in you. Job, things were happening to Job that he could not understand. Job said in Job 13, 15, he says, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. Wow. I don't, I don't understand what's going on, but I'm not going to take my faith off God. I'm still going to trust that he loves me. And even though I don't understand what is going on, I will still trust him because my God loves me and I believe in his love for me. I believe it is in times when we walk by faith, even in, in circumstances that we don't understand, that is considered the most precious of all before God. James 5 verse 10 says that if we look at the example of the prophets and their endurance, we will see that at the end of their lives, we can prove that God was full of compassion and mercy. It is a compassionate plan. But unfortunately, this perspective of God's compassion and mercy may not be seen until you and I leave the shores of the earth and look back from the perspective of eternity. But right now, we just got to trust him because he loves us. Trust in the love of God for you. Don't let anything happen that will seduce you to take your faith of God's word, of his, his, his character, and of his love for you. I mean, why does it need to be done this way? Why can't it just be easier? You know, I believe the Lord welcomes the fight of faith. For it is through the the, the process of pre- pressure that the Lord trains us to be overcomers. If we read First Peter chapter 1 verse 6, the Bible says that the trial of your faith is more precious than the trial of gold. You know, when gold goes through fire, the dross in gold is brought to the top and the gold is refined. When you go through pressure and you overcome by faith, you become stronger in God. You become a greater overcomer and God receives much glory from your life. So don't cast away your confidence. Your confidence has great reward. You have need of patience. That after you have done the will of God, you will receive the promise. Fight the good fight of faith. It is a good fight. But you need to recognize that it is your faith that the enemy is after. Don't let him shift your trust of God. Don't let him shift your trust of the word of God. Keep your faith in God intact. Irrespective of what happens around you. And you will truly overcome in this life. In Jesus name. Well let us pray. Father we are so thankful. For the power of your word. We are so thankful oh God. Because we understand. From your word, how to live our lives as victors. We thank you, O God, for the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith in you. Lord, we recognize that it's not the hearer of the word that is blessed, but the doer of the word. So, Lord, we we make a commitment to do your word this morning. In Jesus' name. (laughs) 
We we'll trust you have been blessed today by the ministry of God's word. As you obey the word, it will become life and health to all your flesh. For more information about the products and services of High Life Church or Carlton Williams Ministries, check out our websites at highlifechurch.com and carltonwilliams.com or call us on 0700 High Life. Yeah, yeah.